friends, welcome to the Sunday Sermon segment of We Need God. Please listen as Father Carrozza offers his homily for today, which was recorded live in St. Anne's Parish. Let's go back to three days before the events that happened at the beginning of today's Gospel. The scene is the Last Supper, and Jesus becomes distressed and he tells the apostles, I am going away and you cannot follow me. And Peter says, why can I not follow you, Lord? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says to him, you lay down your life for me, Peter. Amen, amen, I say to you, the cock will not crow tonight until three times you deny you, even know me. No, Lord, I would never deny you. And all the other apostles say the same thing. Yet we know exactly what happened just a few hours later. Indeed, yes, Peter denied Jesus three times, and the other apostles fled. And only John, the boy of the group, probably only a teenager, stood at the foot of the cross while the other apostles watched his passion from a distance. Now here is the night of the resurrection. This is Easter night, the first time Jesus appeared to his apostles after he was risen from the dead. Now, if you were Jesus, what would you want to say to them? I know what I would want to say. I'd probably stand there and say, excuse me, uh, Peter, I got something to say to you. Didn't I tell you, Peter? I knew you better than you knew yourself. And the rest of you, where were you when I needed you? Oh, sure, at my triumphal entry, when the crowds were calling me the son of David, Hosanna, and laying down their palm branches. Oh, you stood right next to me, basking in all of my glory. But the minute my enemies got a hold of me, and you know they dragged me away, you fled to the hills. And if only Peter at least tried to help, by raising up his sword, but the rest of you did, did, just did absolutely nothing. You call yourselves friends? Well, let me tell you something, you stink. That's what I would have liked to say to them. But notice it's not what Jesus does. What does he say? He appears to them and he says, peace be with you. Shalom. Peace. And not merely a peace of a truce, okay? You know, can we just forget about it and everything, you know? But a peace of a total and complete reconciliation. And he shows them his hands and his side. And that does two things for them. First, it shows them that he's truly risen, that they're not seeing a ghost or imagining things, hallucinating, that he's saying, yes, you see, I was nailed to the cross and I'm now alive. But notice as he shows them his wounds, and as he does to Thomas a week later, he doesn't say, oh, and by the way, guys, I want you to see what you did to me here. It was because of you that I went through all this. No. He doesn't show it to them in that way, but as a sign to them of his tremendous love. He could have walked away from that passion anytime he wanted. In fact, when, when Peter tried to and lifted up his sword, Jesus stopped him. He said, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So yeah, if he walked away from it, he would have saved his life, but you and I would have died in sin. And so instead, he endured the cross willingly so that we could be saved from our sins. And his risen body to this day in heaven still bears those glorious scars of his crucifixion. As a reminder to us, if we ever have to question whether or not God loves us, we just look at his hands and his side and we say, here's my sign of love. This is how much I love you. I could have made you do it. And when you think about it, it's perfectly fair if Jesus had said, well, you guys all sinned, so I tell you what, you go die on the cross. You did the crime, you do the time. You go do that, and then I'll let you into my kingdom. And that would have been perfectly fair. But he said, no, I'm not going to make you pay back the price to me. I'll pay it for you. 
And now unite me with me in your baptism and in my body and blood as my food that I give you. And so gazing on the scars of Christ for all eternity, we remember his tremendous love for all of us. That he came not just to forgive us, but to reconcile us. We see also in uh, this appearance of Jesus, the first gift he gives to the church on the night of the resurrection. He breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit and says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive men's sins, they are forgiven them. And if you hold them bound, they're held bound. In other words, he gave to us the sacrament of reconciliation, what we commonly call going to confession. And sometimes people who are not Catholic, and either some, even some Catholics will say, well, why do we have to go to a priest and confess our sins? You know, can't we just kneel in church and be forgiven? Well, one of the reasons that we say we go to a priest is because Jesus set it up that way. That's what he gave us. And he knew the need for all of us to get things off our chest. And what a powerful uh, event it is for us to tell somebody our deepest, darkest sins and fears and secrets, the things we're most ashamed of, and to know that we hear the words, I absolve you of your sins, and we're never going to hear them again. They're going to stay there and be left there. What a healing comes from that beautiful sacrament. And notice the proper name of the sacrament is reconciliation, which means making everything right again. Restoring things to the order that God wants us to have with him. And I don't think I find any greater peace in my life than when I hear a priest say to me, when I go to confession, I absolve you of your sins. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. My friends, that's the times that I have found in my own life the real love of God. It's wonderful to say I love God and you know, when somebody, something good happens, somebody tells me I brought them close to him, that's wonderful. And I feel great joy in that. But... When I come and bring, especially something that I'm really very ashamed of, a sin I may have committed before the Lord in confession, and I feel like he should say, just get away from me. I never want to talk to you again after what you said, after what you did. But instead, the priest just says, I absolve you of your sins. It is then that we know the great love of God. I don't think it's possible to truly understand just how much God loves us until we acknowledge our sins and have him take them away from us. And that's the beautiful gift he gave us in the sacrament of reconciliation. That we come in and no matter how frequently we commit sins, over and over again, you notice the priest never says, you've run out of chances of being forgiven, you've confessed this too many times now, when are you going to bite the bullet and stop? We might think he should say that to us, but he doesn't. God always, always forgives us. And we might even get to the point that we say, God, why do you forgive me so much? You should be so fed up with me and frustrated with all of my false starts. All the times I say, I'm never going to do this again. And sometimes I go out and within an hour, I've committed the same sins again. You should be fed up with me. And the Lord says, no, I'm not. I love you and I forgive you. Why? Lord, I don't deserve your forgiveness. And in one sense, we're right. We do not deserve God's forgiveness. There's nothing you and I can do to force God to forgive us, to say to him, Lord, you owe me forgiveness. But rather the Lord by his will has made us worthy of his forgiveness. And we deserve it because the Lord loves us and wants to give it to us. Any of you who are parents, know that with your children. If your children do something that offends you, does something wrong, maybe you have to punish them, whatever it is, do you not feel overjoyed 
when the child comes back to you and apologizes and you get that, that loving embrace from your children? Husbands and wives, the same thing. You realize how many times if you've had a real big drawn out fight or something and you've really yelled at each other and then you have the moment of the proverbial kiss and make up and do you not feel afterwards like you love the person even more? That forgiveness of what we've done wrong shows the tremendous love of another person and especially the love of God. We went through a period in the 70s and 80s where people were commonly being told, well, don't talk about sin. Sin is a negative. Sin puts people down. Just build them up, lift them up, tell them how wonderful they are. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I've always felt, how can we talk about God's love for us without talking about his greatest love of all for us and that he died on the cross willingly for our sins? How do we truly understand God's love without first seeing our sins. So no, it's a big mistake to tell people, don't look at your sins, just forget about it. No, quite the contrary. Acknowledging our sins and bringing them before the Lord, not so that he can push us down, but precisely so that he can lift us up, that he can say, come on, rise out of that situation because you don't belong in the guilt of sin. I have so much better in store for you. The idea of just not looking at sin that God kind of just forgets about it in the sense of not making anything good come from it, that was really Martin Luther's idea. Martin Luther actually saw mankind, and these are his own words, as a pile of dung, a pile of manure. And it's like salvation is like snow falling on the pile of manure so that you see only the nice, beautiful snow. You don't see what's underneath. And that the Father sees Jesus and doesn't see our sins. So almost like Jesus is shielding the Father from seeing the fact that we've in fact committed sins. That's Martin Luther's notion. But it's not our Catholic notion. No, our Catholic notion of reconciliation, of forgiveness is far more than that. It's not just hiding the manure, but rather turning even that into something very fruitful. We all know that manure, as disgusting as it is, makes excellent fertilizer in a garden. So imagine if God were to come and plant seeds in that pile of manure and transform it now and take all of the ugliness of that and turn it into a bush or a flower or a plant that bears great fruit for all of us. That's what the Lord does with us. He transforms us. He doesn't just leave us in sin and say, well, I just won't look at it. But even by going through our knowledge, our appreciation of the sins we've committed, and the Lord says, now I'm going to call you out of that. And in spite of the sins you commit, sometimes we might even say because of the sins we commit that we've realized the love of God, we can go out and do great things for other people. That's how the Lord frees us. So he doesn't just hide his sight from our sins, but he totally transforms them as St. Paul reminds us that even though we sin, God's grace is far greater. And in a sense, we can actually almost think it was better in a way that we did sin because we understand the love of God when we see our sins and he forgives us from them. Why at the Easter Vigil last week in the Exultet we sing, Oh, happy fault, oh, necessary sin of Adam, that won for us so great a Redeemer, that God took our moment of disaster, of Adam and Eve's original sin, and turned it into our triumph, that because of that sin, he promised to save us, and our situation later is far greater than it was even in paradise, even in the Garden of Eden. He will give us a life, our souls, in his loving embrace, in his kingdom, 
and our bodies in the new creation, living a perfect soul in a perfect body in a perfect new creation for all of eternity. That will be what we have on that day. And it was made possible because of the love of God who came and took our sins upon himself and then freed us from them. As I mentioned to you, today is the day of divine mercy. And Pope John Paul II had declared this based on the devotion of that the Lord had, repeared, uh, had revealed of the divine mercy to St. Faustina Kowalska, who was a, a nun in Krakow, where uh, Pope John Paul II had been the Cardinal Archbishop before he became Pope. And we have a picture of the image that the Lord gave to Faustina of the divine mercy. And it's become very popular, and Pope John Paul II had great devotion to the divine mercy. And it was a gift of God, and I think a sign for all of us, that Pope John Paul II died on the vigil of the Feast of the Divine Mercy, on the eve of, that, uh, of the octave of Easter, and even after sundown when the church was already celebrating the Divine Mercy. I think that was God giving us a blessing to show, just as John Paul II had preached about love and forgiveness and mercy, now the Lord shows it to us in this beautiful gift, that the Lord has come to show us His mercy. He's not come to give us comeuppance. He's not come to put us down for our sins, but rather to pick us up, to lift us of them, to show us his mercy. And one of my favorite stories from the lives of any of the saints comes from the life of St. Faustina. When the Lord was first appearing to her, she told her spiritual director, the priest that guided her, that the Lord Jesus is appearing to her in her cell at night. And the priest was being cautiously skeptical. Let's face it, you can't believe everybody that says Jesus is appearing to them. Some of them, in all charity, are not playing with full deck. But it's been known to happen, and he knew she was a solid woman, and if anybody was a candidate for the Lord to appear to her, he figured Faustina was probably someone for that. But he wanted proof. So he said this to her. He said, okay, you say Jesus is appearing to you in your room at night? The next time Jesus comes to you, ask him to tell you what was the last mortal sin I had to confess. And if Jesus can tell you my last mortal sin, obviously something only the priest would know, then indeed I will know he's, he's appearing to you. So the next time the Lord appeared to Faustina, she said to him, Lord, Father is having a hard time believing that you're truly appearing to me. And he asked me to ask you as a sign, could you please tell me what was the last mortal sin Father had to confess? And Jesus responded, I don't remember. I don't remember. The priest believed after that because he said only Jesus would say that. But we're talking here about, first of all, any mortal sin is a sin that by its nature completely severs our relationship with God and that condemns our soul to hell if we do not confess it. And for a priest to commit a mortal sin, he must have done something really seriously wrong. We're not talking about, you know, last night he accidentally only said nine Hail Marys in his, the third decade of his rosary instead of ten. We're talking about this priest did something very seriously wrong, and Jesus said, I don't remember it. It was confessed, then I take it away from you, and we forget about it. And in that sense, Martin Luther would be right, but he left out the whole transformation in between, that the Lord wants to take those sins away from us when we acknowledge them. And so, the gift of the divine mercy is that the Lord says, I have not come to forever hold your sins over your head and forever beat you over the head because of what you've done. That's not what I've come to do. And he doesn't need to do that, because quite frankly, we do that to ourselves very well. 
I've always found that God's forgiveness is not the hard forgiveness to get. God's forgiveness is easy. The hard forgiveness to get sometimes is our own. And how many times I come across people who have not gone to confession for many years because they feel they have this sin, whatever it was, that nobody would ever forgive them. God could never forgive me that. Or the priest would be horrified. He'd never look at me again. Well, I assure you, you don't have to be ordained too long until you've heard everything. And there is nothing that any of you could tell any priest in confession that we haven't heard before. What maybe is taking all of your strength to admit to us that this was a, the worst sin you committed, for us it's just another day hearing confessions. And we don't go around remembering everybody's sins afterwards, so don't worry. You know, that's not going to happen. Sometimes people just don't see themselves as worthy of being loved. Why should God love me after all that I've done? And again, and sometimes they say, you know, I don't deserve to be forgiven. And yes, they're true that you and I cannot do anything to force God to forgive us, but he forgives us out of his love for us because he wants to. And in that sense, we deserve it. And sometimes maybe with people, I have to play hardball. And, you know, they say, God would never forgive me for that. And sometimes it's even something they confessed many years ago, but are still holding over their heads, still beating themselves over the head over something they did years ago and confessed years ago. And God has forgiven them, but they will not forgive themselves. And so I have to say this to them. I said, if Adolf Hitler, before he died, instead had a moment of contrition, and he turned to God and said, Lord, what have I done? Why did I do all this evil? Will you forgive me? Do you think God would forgive him? And they all say, yeah, of course. Said, if Satan himself, the source of all evil, were to turn to the Father one day and say, Father, can you forgive me for rebelling against you and destroying your world just to try to get your people to curse you and blame you for all my evil so that I can draw them away from you? Will you forgive me? Do you think God would forgive Satan? And they say, well, yeah. I said, so if God could forgive Adolf Hitler and God could forgive Satan, why do you think God wouldn't forgive you? Are you less lovable than Adolf Hitler or Satan? I doubt it. No, especially since we don't sin because, well, we sin because we want to sin. We think what we're doing is right, and later we realize what we did was wrong. The biggest mistake we could ever make in our lives is not letting Jesus take our sins away from us. He died on the cross to say, I came willingly to absorb your sins onto me to kill them there. Now let me take them away from you. Do not be afraid. And so my friends, if there's anyone here today who has either been away from confession for a long time or somebody who's holding, withholding going because you're afraid God could never forgive you for whatever that sin was, let today, the day of divine mercy, be the day you convince yourself and say, you know what, I've waited too long. Now is the day to come back and heal and feel the loving forgiveness and the embrace of Christ. And when you do, my friends, I can promise you, absolutely, that the greatest peace you will ever feel is having a priest say to you, I absolve you of your sins and know that God has taken those sins away. And you will at that moment come to understand the greatest of God's love for us, not by ignoring our sins, but by dealing with them, embracing them, admitting them, and allowing the Lord to totally transform them, take them away from us, and through our knowledge of what we had done, now go out and help other sinners love and follow the Lord, so that even our sins, as filthy as they are, can bear great fruit for other people.
Today, the day of divine mercy, is the day the Lord says, I died to forgive you your sins. Allow me to take them away from you. Give them all to me, because that is what I desire to do. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Now and forever. Thank you for listening to this week's homily by Father Carosa. If you enjoyed this homily, please pass the word on to your friends and invite them to listen. For more materials from Father Carosa, please visit www.fathercarosa.com.